Well, good morning, everyone. Um, if I haven't met you, I'm Greg Brady. I'm the pastor here, and I'm so glad that we are worshiping the Lord together. Thank you for being here. Um, where to start? Where to start? It's not that profound. The start is not that profound. Um, let me tell you a story. Uh, many of you know that I um, studied engineering while I was in college. Have an engineering degree, and one of the things that uh, God used to direct me towards ministry was uh, was a meeting I had with my supervisor as a student engineer a long, long time ago, and it was a job performance evaluation. Um, all of the cooperative education college students working in, as engineers. Um, went through this with their supervisors, and my boss's name was Les, and Les was a Les was a real likable guy. And we sat down together, and he said, "Greg, your work is fine, no complaints there. You turn on your assignments on time. Um, that's wonderful. But there is something that I want to discuss with you. I'd like to see more of this from you, if I could. Like, hmm, I wonder what that is." And he said, here's the deal. Um, You have the same reaction um, whether or not I ask you to do something awesome and amazing or whether or not I ask you to go take out the garbage. Um, Except you use something much more colorful than garbage in that uh, meeting uh, moment. It wasn't garbage, something else. Um, And he was pointing out something to me, just kind of, I didn't seem excited. I didn't. I didn't seem really engaged in my work. Um, God later used that to get me to think, hmm, maybe, maybe I should seek other work. Um, but my boss was looking for something in me, something that is important um, to us as human beings. God has wired us, I think, to get excited about things. God has wired us for, um, for something, something that can fire us up, get us going, something that defines our actions. In one word, God has wired us for this, wired us for motivation. I want to talk to you about motivation today. Motivation is a key in our life. God has created humans with a great capacity, capacity pardon me, to be motivated. What is motivation? Motivation is an urge. Motivation is, is a goal or a desire or something that, that gets us to do something else. And there can be positive, godly motivations. There can be negative, harmful motivations. And we see motivations all throughout the Bible. Um, Good and bad. I thought it'd be fun this morning to do a little motivation quiz. I will uh, put a scripture on the board describing some motivation. And you tell me, is this a good motivation or is this a bad motivation, right? So good or bad motivations. Here we go. First scripture is from Philippians chapter 3. And Paul is writing about why he does what he does. Now, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, 
but I press on to take hold of it. And what is it? The prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like good motivation or bad motivation? Yeah, good, good motivation. Right? That's a good motivation. Uh, how about this one? First uh, Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it with this motivation for the glory of God. That sounds like an easy one. Is that, is that good motivation or bad motivation? Good motivation. The glory of God. It's always a good motivation. Um, how about this one? John chapter 12. Judas Iscariot says something whenever Mary breaks open this jar of perfume and pours it over Jesus' head. So this is what he says. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor, it was worth a year's wages. Now, stop reading. Does that sound like a good motivation or bad motivation? Hey, maybe we could have used this costly perfume for for something else, maybe to feed the poor. Does that sound good or or bad? It sounds kind of good, but, but, but look at what John says. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. All right, clearly that's bad motivation, right? He just wanted more money for himself. How about this one? Um, think about when you throw parties, when you have get-togethers. Um, your invitation list, when you're having, you know, want to get people together over to your house for a, for a fun time, This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. When you give a luncheon or dinner or a party, do not invite your friends. What? Do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. So the motivation of um, doing something good for someone else to get a payback. Is that good or bad motivation? Bad motivation, probably so. One more. Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Should we use worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves? Good or bad motivation? I don't know. Jesus says this, so I'm going to take him for his word, and I'm going to assume there's some good motivation in that. Now, that probably requires a sermon to unpack that scripture, kind of a confusing scripture. See, we are always being motivated by things all throughout the Bible. Good motivations, bad motivations. We're going to read a scripture today from the, from the Gospel of Mark, and it's, it's about motivation. And so, if you have your Bible, and I hope you have one, turn to Mark chapter 12. We've trained our eyes with that little quiz to spot motivations. I want you to think through the motivations that you see in this scripture. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. 
They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is a story about motivation. The teachers of the law appear like good, noble people. I mean, they're, they're the teachers of the law in, in Jewish society, they were treated with respect in the marketplaces, Jesus says. Uh, they're the, the who's who of Jewish society. Um, they make dinner parties. They're the guests that make dinner parties legit for um, the Jewish people. If you had a, a teacher of the law attend one of your functions, whoo, that was, that was quite a function. They were well-liked. They made good things happen. And they gave a lot of money. And when they gave their money at the temple, quite honestly, it is likely that they were not thinking, okay, time for me to put on a show, put on an act, be fake to people around here. I don't think they were thinking that at all when they were making big offerings. See, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 talks about our motivations. And this is what it says. All a person's ways seem pure to them. Just like when those teachers of the law made those big offerings. All their ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. See, the difficulty is we often cannot tell what our motivations are. I mean, we think we can tell what our motivations are, but we can't. I mean, I like, I'm like that. I, I mean, I... I want good. I think I want good. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I want good. That I, that I want good. And that I pursue good. But there can be some bad mixed in with my motivations for good things to happen. There can be some bad mixed in there that I'm not even aware of. But God knows the true story of our hearts. And that's one of the truths from this story. One of the truths in the story is there is always room for humility on our part. Uh, once you start looking at others and looking at their actions, once you start thinking, oh, I'm so pure, and take a look at that guy over there who's not pure, watch out. Because <laughs> God is the one that gets to look into the human heart and know our pure intents and motivations. Um, so offerings in Jesus' day, they were made in, uh, in one of the inner courtyards of the temple. 
And from what I understand, like we have these little boxes in the back of our sanctuary um, and have had them there for some time since, since COVID where you could just put your, your offering in these small little boxes. But in the temple, um, they had 13 receptacles um, for, for money. And uh, the receptacles on top had what were called trumpets. It's like a, a bell of a trumpet, a large metal opening that was round at the bottom and then and then got narrower up at the top and it was they were made of metal and people could put their offering in there and this was before cash right so it was just metal going inside these metal containers these wide so imagine those coins hitting the sides of the trumpet i mean it would make a lot of noise and the trumpets were labeled, well, 13 of them were labeled as to where the money that went in that receptacle would go to. And most of the money collected at the temple went towards temple upkeep, um, sacrifices to be made at the temple. So operation of the temple, that's what the, uh, the donations, the offerings um, went to. And um, so while the rich people, that Jesus, is, Jesus was describing, um, while they may have kind of liked the, the loud clanking of their heavy coins in those trumpets, that might have been kind of a pleasing sound to them. Hey, I'm making a big offering. Probably there is some good in their intent. Like, I want to I wanna help provide for this temple and its, it's, uh, it's worship, the worship here. I'm helping out the local cause. I'm being a responsible Jew. I'm contributing a lot of money. And then this poor widow comes into the courtyard, and she puts her two little coins in. In fact, the name of the coins, what's the name of our coins? Pennies, nickels, quarters, dimes, forgot dimes. The name that was used for the coins that she threw in there um, was the word that meant little, (laughs) light. Or, or even shaved. Um, so imagine, you know, uh, a, a precious metal, but enough of it was shaved, so it was just this thin, lightweight coin that no one would pick up if they saw it on the ground. It was worth just not even, not even a penny, just a fraction of a penny. These two lightweight coins. Do you think those two coins made a lot of mu- sound when they went in, into that trumpet? Probably not. I mean, these two little lightweight coins. Probably no clanking whatsoever unlike when the rich religious authorities put in their money. Now, the traditional interpretation of the scripture is that Jesus was praising this woman for her faith in God. Why? Because she gave everything that she had. Surely she was trusting in God to provide for her her needs because she gave everything. She was so generous. The, uh, the traditional interpretation of this is that in the temple that was full of rich people with, with impure motivations, she was the woman of pure faith. Sermons on this scripture often are known, kind of the, genero- the generous giving sermons. You may, you may even be questioning my motives, my motivations for preaching this sermon in November which is often stewardship month. That's the traditional interpretation of this, of this uh, scripture. 
But as I was studying the scripture, I was amazed to read about another interpretation that I had never heard before. One that is shared by no small number of scholars. So y'all may be well ahead of me in this game and be like, oh yeah, Pastor Greg, we already heard about that. Um, And that interpretation is that Jesus is not presenting this woman as a positive example, but rather as a pitiable victim. Um, uh, Yeah, pitiable victim of the religious leaders. See, there's this parallel structure to verses 38 through 44, what we read. First, Jesus denounces the rich, the religious leaders, in their long flowing robes, which only the rich would have been able to afford. Jesus denounces the rich, and there is this condemnation given about the rich in verse 40. You might remember. Verse 40 says, uh, Jesus... uh, Uh, Jesus says, they devour widows' houses, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. Then Mark goes back to the rich. This time, they are putting on the show again. They're they're throwing their money, the loud, clanking money, into the trumpets and the treasury boxes. And finally, to complete the parallel thought, Mark goes back to who? To a widow. The rich are devouring this widow. So the parallel thought, some people believe, is the widow here is a victim. It took a lot of money to maintain the temple and the work of the temple. And the religious leaders are swindling her of her money. They're like the TV evangelists of the day. You know, if you make your offering here, I promise you God will triple it and quadruple it and you'll become rich. Just make your offering here. Uh, one real popular preacher today says that Jesus wasn't pleased at her gift at all, that it really upset Jesus because the rich was just cheating her out of her money. her, Her offering upset Jesus greatly, one popular preacher today said. Let me ask you a question. Does it matter whether we see this lady as a victim, this poor widow as a victim, or as a positive example? Does it matter? Some no's. Some, I don't know. In one, in one way, I'm going to say no. It doesn't really matter. But in one way, yes. So let's talk about that. I'm going to give you five points of what we can definitely say from this story. And maybe they will help us learn what we need to take from this poor widow. Uh, first thing is this. What you bring before God is your heart. That's one of the things we can definitely take from the story. Um, when you make your offering, it's really not about the amount. It's about your heart. God doesn't need us to give him a certain amount. God can fund whatever God wants to accomplish however God chooses. Uh, In fact, when it comes to giving money, what does the Bible say? Well, one of the important things it says is from 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9. Yeah, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give because ultimately 
what we come to God with is our hearts. Decide which in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you can be rich and you can bring much. You can be poor, you can be poor and you can bring much. But if you make a big gift while hating doing that action, it's probably not pleasing to God. Likewise, if we give just a little bit, whether we're rich or poor, if we give just a little bit because we hate the idea of parting with this money, that's probably not pleasing to God either. What pleases God is the condition of our heart. And this is true not just with our giving. It's true with our worship. Um, Worship without heart behind it, it's not pleasing to God. It's true with our prayers. Um, Psalm 66, verse 18 says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayer. So what is in your heart, that is ultimately what is important to the Lord. God cares about our, fir- our hearts first and foremost. Uh, two, second point, and this is kind of a similar thought, and it's this. Action does not matter apart from your heart. So motivations are really important. Impure hearts lead to impure actions, even when the action itself seems pretty good. Um, and there are no shortage of people that do good actions, but with, uh, with poor motivations. And I think one of those motivations is uh, when people do good things and they think, well, I'm doing a favor for God with this. Have you ever thought that? Like, I'm, I'm doing something good for God here. I'm, I'm doing God a favor. Um, you know, you, you, give, you give something to someone. Someone doesn't have clothes, needs clothes. You have new clothes, and you, hey, take these. You know, the little spontaneous act. Take these. Take my coat. God, I'm doing you a favor, aren't I? No, not really. You're not doing God a favor. Um, or sticking 100 bucks in the offering plate. Oh, God, I'm doing you a favor. Or you give up golf some Sunday morning to go to church. God, I'm doing you a favor, don't you see? Um, God can make happen whatever God wants, however God chooses. So you're not, you're not doing God a, f- a favor with your good action. And God is really emphatic about that. The the heart in which we do things. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes, If I give all that I possess to the poor, that sounds pretty good. That's a good act, right? If I give all that I have to the poor, if I give over my body to hardship, in other words, I'm willing to sacrifice and suffer for what I believe is right. Well, that sounds pretty good. Um, if I do those good things, but do not have love, I gain nothing. God looks at that and says, that's, that's, that, that's a zero. That's a zero score. If we do things, but do not have love. So action does not matter apart from your heart. Is it done in love? Or is it done with selfish motivation? Three, 
God watches our actions and knows our motives. We see that in the story. God is watching. One of the important details of this passage is verse 41. It says that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So he positioned himself specifically so that he could watch those making their their offerings. And the word watch in that verse, um, it's not the word you would use for someone that, you know, is sitting on a bench at the mall, <laughs> looking around. You know, you're kind of tired from shopping or you're tired from your spouse's shopping. And you say, hey, honey, you keep going in here. I'm tired. I'm going to go sit out there, have a seat for a while. You know, have you ever done that? Please say that you've done that so that I'm not the only one that has done that. And you kind of look around, seeing the people walking by. You know, you're glancing. That's not the word that for watch here. That word for watch, um, we get that word from, from the Greek word, the original word, theoreo, like you're forming a theory. means to look with the purpose of analyzing. Jesus wasn't just sitting on a bench, kind of glancing here or there. Oh, look what she's doing, what he's doing, look at wearing and this and that. No, he is studying the actions of the givers. And here's the lesson for us. You cannot fool God. You can't pass off bad intentions for good ones. God knows our hearts, certainly better than we know our own hearts. And here's the deal. It's really hard to change your motivations. I mean, I can't just flip a switch, right? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of these bad motivations now. That, that happens. That's an interact, right? And it's the interact, ultimately, of the Holy Spirit helping us to give up, to pursue, to, to pursue good motivations, not bad motivations. Um, but I, I think this leads us to a fourth observation from the story, and it's this. Faulty hearts lead to faulty comparisons. And when I start comparing, I come up with all kinds of wrong motivations. When I start comparing my life with others, when I start looking what others have that I don't have, or what I have that others don't have, I start pursuing all kinds of wrong motivations. So resist comparing yourself to others. Resist both seeing others more positively than you see yourself, because that can lead to envy. Look what they have. I don't have that. Look at that gift that they have. I don't have that. I want that. And resist uh, seeing others more negatively than you see yourself because um, that's what the teachers of the law were doing in this story. They were seeing others more negatively than they saw themselves, and they were the rich, and they were the poor, and they were the ones that made big donations, and others made small donations, and they let it get to their head, and they were prideful. And it led to the pride that Jesus condemned. What this scripture shows us is that our comparisons are just often, they're just wrong. When we compare ourselves with others, we're using the wrong system of measuring. Don't compare yourself with others because our methods are just based on poor instincts. 
And this is why um, uh, I think that Jesus intentionally called his disciples to him to point this out. Did you notice that in verse 43? Jesus called his disciples to him to make this a teaching moment. And verse 43 says this. Uh, Jesus called his disciples and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. May this teaching moment says your metrics for determining amount are all off. Jesus called them over to teach them that the way that people compare usually is wrong. Because everyone's looking at this scene and saying, wow, these teachers of the law, boy, they're given a lot. And Jesus says, no, no, no. She gave more. And this is why I tend to view this story as Jesus showing this woman as an example and not a victim. See, if she wasn't giving purely, if she wasn't giving in love and real faith, Jesus would not have said that she gave more than the rich. It was something in her heart that Jesus took notice and said, I want to use her as an example for my disciples to learn from and follow. And with that, there's a fifth observation we can make from the story. The example of this widow, Christianity is a costly faith. It's a costly faith. Here's why I think it is important to see this woman as an example. The reason Jesus said she gave more is because she really sacrificed. It's been said there is a big difference between a sacrifice and a contribution. And this lady sacrificed while the teachers of the law, they're just making contributions. Their offerings didn't change how they lived the rest of their life, and hers did. We asked this question last week, what has your faith in Christ cost you? And if you can't think of a sense of giving something up for Christ, it's really good to to reflect upon a certain verse. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You'll recognize this verse, likely, where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. It's hard to imagine denying yourself or taking up your cross and not having a sense of some cost there. Now, it may be a cost that you gladly paid, that you, that you were joyfully paid. It might have been easy to pay that cost because of, of how it greatly benefited you. Like maybe you gave up an old way of living that was just harmful and destructive to you, and you're like, oh, I want to give up that that destructive way of living and and embrace this godly way, and it just, it was life-giving to you. So maybe it was an easy cost to pay, but it was a cost. It was a sacrifice. The Christian should be able to see, ah, there was a sacrifice, either in my willingness to put others before me or a sacrifice in my willingness not to make every single thing about me. That's my tendency, just to make everything, oh, it's about me, my preferences. Just give that up. Or a sense of 
a sacrifice and how I use my words. I'm going to use my words not to build myself up, but to build others up. I'm not going to be guarding my reputation. I'm going to be building others up with my words. Or even a sacrifice in how I use my money, where it affects how I live so that I can, so that I can help benefit someone else. So key question for you this morning. For what do you sacrifice and why? We all sacrifice for something. What are you sacrificing for? Is it for your boss or your job? Uh, Is it so you can have the nicest house on the block? Sacrificing for your reputation, is that what you're sacrificing for? Or for God, for God's kingdom? For what do you sacrifice? And then why? What are our motivations? What are your motivations? Allow God to start sharing with you what your motivations are, listening for the Holy Spirit. And you may know, yeah, my, my motives, I know they may, be, they may be mixed, but there's a lot of good. There's a lot of hunger to help others come to know God and come to know God's love. So reflect on what your motivations are. I think that's another good reason to look at this poor widow in the story. Um, it's been noted before that this act of giving by this poor widow is one of the very last acts that Jesus sees before he goes to the cross. And I wonder if he had her in mind when he kept his mouth closed instead of defending himself to Pontius Pilate. I wonder if he thought of this lady who gave all. And when he was hanging on the cross and he could have called down an army of angels to get him down, I wonder if he thought, you know, Love is giving your all. Not that he was following her example, but he was like, yeah, she got it. She got it. She got what my love is all about. It's about giving my all. So it wouldn't surprise me if he thought of this woman. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his all. So as you're considering for what you are sacrificing and why you're making those sacrifices. Look to Jesus. Look to his sacrifice. Look to how he paid all for you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you were willing to show us Such love, greater love has no one than this. He or she lays life down. It's love that moves us to put others first, to seek the interests of others before we seek our own. It's love that moves us to think humbly about ourselves and that we are, um, we are, we're not doing you a favor. We're just living out our faith with gratitude and with with thankfulness. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be pure with our, our motivations. And we know, Lord, that only comes when your Holy Spirit comes inside of us and gives us a joy for the Lord and, and rejoicing over the love of Christ for us. 
and how you have made way in our hearts for, for peace and for joy and for hope. Heavenly Father, Lord, will you just do your renewing work in our hearts as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.